Ovarian cancer is the seventh most common cancer in women worldwide, with a higher incidence in postmenopausal women and in economically de developed regions of the world. Five-year survival continues to be low, and in the UK, this has been partly attributed to less timely diagnosis. I'm Sophie Cook, Clinical Reviews Editor, and today I'm joined by Suda Sundar, one of the authors of this week's clinical review on ovarian cancer, to discuss how doctors can identify women at risk and who to refer for specialist evaluation. Suda, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Can you start by telling me, what are the different types of ovarian cancer? Well, we know that uh, there are two broad types of ovarian cancer. There's epithelial ovarian cancer and non-epithelial types. Um, but the most common uh, histological type of ovarian cancer is high-grade serous ovarian cancer. Uh, this accounts for about 80% of uh, ovarian cancer. And um, it's responsible for uh, the vast majority of um, mortality from ovarian cancer. Um, there are less common histology types after this, um, which include clear cell, um, mucinous, low-grade serous cancers, and then the rare but um, still quite important cancers to diagnose, which are the germ cell tumors in um, uh, the younger patient population. Who is at risk of ovarian cancer? Well, the most common um, incidence of ovarian cancer is in the postmenopausal group. So, as you say, it's between the 50 to 70 year old uh, group, um, with um, a smaller um, peak uh, for the germ cells uh, at 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 the under 20 uh, age group. But that's uh, that's that's not epithelial ovarian cancer. Are there any particularly vulnerable groups of women that health professionals need to be aware of? Absolutely. I think um, it's really important for um, primary care practitioners and patients themselves to be aware of the risk of um, ovarian cancer when uh, they have a family history of uh, mutation in the BRCA genes, BRCA1 and 2. And certainly women with a strong family history of breast and ovarian cancer or a known history of BRCA mutation um, should be considered at high risk of ovarian cancer. Um, we know that certain populations, in particular the Ashkenazi Jewish population, um, has um, a high rate of BRCA mutations. Uh, and again, um, th that needs to flag up uh, when, when these patients present. Um, I think one of the things that we are increasingly uh, uh, being aware of is the incidence of BRCA and other germline mutations. And we think up about one in five women um, have, uh, one in five women who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer probably have an inherited genetic mutation. So that's a major rethink from where um, we were in the field, uh, say, five years ago. Mm. I think doctors worry about ovarian cancer because the pre presentation is so non-specific. Can you tell us what we should be on the lookout for that might prompt consideration of ovarian cancer? I think uh, I think that's a really good question, and um, I would say ovarian cancer is an extremely difficult cancer to diagnose. And um, in some ways, I'm quite fortunate in that I sit in tertiary care. Often, the diagnosis is made before patients come to me. Um, and so I think we sometimes don't fully appreciate the challenges that primary care face because only one in 400 women with symptoms will end up being diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And so it's a real challenge, I think, uh, a diagnostic challenge to filter out the one person who, um, who needs 
uh, you know, uh, rapid investigations and uh, progressing. We know that um, case control studies uh, show that women have uh, several persistent or frequently occurring vague symptoms um, prior to diagnosis. So this could include things like abdominal distension or bloating. Often people put this down to um, middle-aged menopausal spread. Uh, my skirt is getting tighter. Um, so, off, uh, and the interesting thing with uh, women with ovarian cancer is often they feel quite well apart from abdominal symptoms. And this is, I think, something to bear in mind that um, the patient might look well. They might well say things like, I feel quite well in myself, doctor. It's my tummy that's, that's not right. Um, and it's, it's astonishing that they can have um, that level of tumor load whilst still feeling um, relatively um, physically okay. Um, so, so that's something to bear in mind. But the symptoms in general are abdominal distension, bloating, a feeling of fullness or loss of appetite, uh, tummy pain, tummy discomfort, um, increased urinary frequency, urgency. Occasionally you get unexplained weight loss. Um, occasionally you get tiredness. Um, you do get changes in bowel habit because uh, these are pelvic organs and can, um, and can have pressure effects. Um, but but these are quite vague symptoms, and I think the challenge is that um, there's certainly data that suggests in terms of workload that one in two women between the ages of 45 and 70 will consult their GP each year with these symptoms. Uh, that's, that's, that's a large, complicated diagnostic um, challenge. Yeah, that is. I'm a GP, and I, I, I agree. <laughs> it, it, is, it is very difficult to... to actually pick out these these women from all of the ones that come in with mm. these very vague mm. symptoms. If we think about GPs who are in their surgery faced with women coming in with these non-specific symptoms, if they have an inkling or a concern that there might be an underlying ovarian cancer, how should they move forward with investigations? Well, NICE recommends that uh, women with symptoms uh, such as these have their CA125 checked if the CA125 is above 35, then they should be um, um, they should have a fast track ultrasound in primary care. So that's within two weeks. Um, and then, if that ultrasound is abnormal, then they should be referred to uh, rapid access uh, two week uh, clinics in secondary care. And as you said in the review. Of course, women should also be told that a normal CA125 level doesn't rule out ovarian cancer, particularly in the early stages. So any persistent symptoms should prompt them to seek further medical opinion. If we talk a bit more about the CA125, a lot of women have often heard of this and associate this test only with ovarian cancer. So in my experience, it can provoke quite a lot of anxiety once mentioned. How do you suggest that women are counselled when they're referred for a CA125 level? I think this is a really good question because I think we have to accept that if we are to pick up women with ovarian cancer in a timely fashion, then it will mean us testing a lot more women who may not have ovarian cancer. And so we do need to manage the, um, the anxiety related to testing. I often tell people that this is a preliminary test. It's a, uh, an elevated test uh, of a CA125 result does not mean they have ovarian cancer. All it does is it allows us to investigate them with additional tests and refer them appropriately um, if needed. Um, and I, of, I often say things like CA125 is raised when you have periods. It's raised with a, uh, with a number of conditions that have got nothing to do with, uh, with cancer. 
um, and that sometimes are entirely normal. And therefore, they really need to see this as, as a, a precautionary check, but it's not a test that uh, confirms that they have cancer. It just points us that we need to do more testing and more investigations to figure out what's going on. That's great. I think that's very useful. Um, if we talk a bit now about ultrasound, you mm-hmm. you touched briefly on ultrasound reports and women being referred, you know, if they are abnormal in the context of a, a raised CA125. Sometimes ultrasound reports can be confusing to interpret. It's not always clear what findings are suspicious of ovarian cancer. Are, are there any tips you have on what should alert GPs to suspicions of ovarian cancer on an ultrasound report? So I think this is a very good question, and um, certainly um, NICE guidance has been challenging, I think, because NICE um, hasn't actually said what ultrasound findings are abnormal. Uh, So in fact, we do have patients being referred in with cysts on their ovary, and of course, ovarian cysts are entirely physiological if you're premenopausal, so that's, that's the function of the ovary. So I think um, we, at this point in time, don't have a universally applied scoring system in primary care um, that is uh, accepted and validated, that, um, that everyone understands and accepts. But there's been a lot of work to try and improve that. Uh, the International Ovarian Tumor uh, Analysis Consortium, um, based in Leuven in Belgium, have come up with a set of definitions um, that uh, they, they uh, have worked on with large data sets. Uh, having said that, this isn't in common practice in primary care. Uh, certainly the things that I think should um, sound alarm bells would be the presence of ascites and metastasis. In general, bilateral lesions that are solid um, are, are worth, uh, uh, you know, which should, should surely prompt uh, rapid access referral. I think the other things to to be um, aware of um, are things uh, when when a description of a cyst is complex with solid elements, uh, multi-cystic. These are slightly more uh, complex than having physiological uh, simple cysts or unilocular cysts. So if you have just a fluid-filled cyst uh, that's less than five centimeter, that's actually associated with uh, uh, a less than one percent chance of cancer. So it is the description, um, but it's also uh, the ultrasound uh, providers in each area often um, have uh, good communication with the uh, secondary care gynecologists. So they ought to be uh, providing some guidance within the ultrasound report to primary care. Um, And I know certainly regionally in Birmingham, there's an explicit instruction to say we advise urgent gynecological referral. So I think that it's it's a question of working with your local providers um, to ensure that that um, that uh, inference from the um, ultrasonographer is passed on to primary care. Absolutely. We've talked a little bit about the um, the special groups. If we move forward now, we've talked a little bit about premenopausal women and when to um, be concerned. We also talked about the um, BRCA positive women. And I just wonder, if we find that a woman is BRCA positive, what, what's advised now on how to manage her and to prevent her or reduce her risk of, of ovarian cancer? Certainly there's very good um, data to suggest that uh, women with BRCA mutation carriers should... Um, 
be referred to uh, specialist clinics and regionally there's usually um, a provider of of, um, genetic counseling and uh, gynecological cancer risk reduction. So um, regionally there should be a a designated consultant who provides that uh, clinical service. Um, And then it's up to the patient to have that conversation with uh, the consultant to to decide on exactly how they wish to um, proceed. Some women will choose risk-reducing surgery to remove their tubes and ovaries. Um, That's that's been shown to reduce the uh, incidence of ovarian cancer quite robustly um, in uh, prospective studies. Um, But obviously it does tip them into the menopause. Um, there's, There's some research findings that suggest that um, removing the tube alone uh, might be an option, but that's certainly in the research arena and and not validated in in common practice as um, something that can reduce your risk of um, ovarian cancer um, while still keeping you uh, with ovarian function. Is there any evidence? Yeah, that's that's lovely. Um, Moving on to... Uh, sort of talking about screening a little bit. Is there any any evidence to support screening programs for ovarian cancer? Well, we're waiting for the results of the large randomized control trial of screening called UKC talks in the UK. Uh, They should report uh, later this year. And I think um, internationally we're all waiting for the results of this um, of this trial. Uh, this trial evaluated a particular algorithm called the risk of ovarian cancer algorithm, and this is based on serial um, and personalized um, uh, values of CA125 rather than a single CA125 cutoff. Um, and we're waiting to see whether this trial randomized 200,000 women uh, have to receive uh, a half of the control group and have to receive uh, either this algorithm or ultrasound um, on an annual basis. And we are going to uh, see whether uh, screening for ovarian cancer is cost-effective and has a mortality benefit towards the end of the year. Until that trial reports, for the moment, there is no evidence to support screening um, to to prevent or to detect uh, ovarian cancer. Um, The screening trial in the U.S. uh, that was based on a a cutoff value of C125, which is a PLCO trial, uh, was negative, so it didn't show a mortality impact. Thank you. And finally, once ovarian cancer diagnosis is established, can you talk a little bit about the mainstay of treatment and the prognosis? So I think um, one of the things that we've gotten much better uh, with ovarian cancer is the management of ovarian cancer. Certainly, if you speak to my um, senior colleagues, they remember a time before platinum. Uh, They remember a time when platinum chemotherapy was just coming in. Um, and we've moved on much further with a very effective chemotherapy and effective surgical uh, managements of ovarian cancer. We know that five-year survival is around 46%, so that means one in two women with ovarian cancer, um, just under one in two with women with ovarian cancer will survive five years after the diagnosis, and one in three will survive 10. Um, so we're getting better at managing patients with ovarian cancer. We know that um, at treatment, having uh, cancer that is sensitive to platinum, so if, if your cancer shrinks with, when you receive platinum chemotherapy, or, and if you have surgery to remove the cancer uh, macroscopically completely, so at the end of surgery there's no visible cancer left, 
then those patients uh, do the best in terms of progression-free survival and overall survival. Um, so the mainstay of treatment is surgery and chemotherapy uh, for ovarian cancer. You've been listening to Suda Sundar talking about this week's clinical review on the diagnosis of ovarian cancer. You can read the full review now on the bmj.com. 